Welcome to the Humans of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. I am super excited because today I am joined by Lydia Sear and she is the brand manager here at Harrington Star and is responsible for all things visual. From creating emotive graphics to producing our upcoming documentary, there isn't a creative project that Lydia would shy away from. On top of this, you can find her advocating for neurodiversity and good mental health. Diagnosed with ADHD when she was 21, she's a firm believer that it's her creative superpower and that we should all embrace our differences. So who better but to have her here today with me on the show. Lydia, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, as I've said a hundred times, super excited that you're here. I wanted you just to open up by telling us a bit more about your role and what that actually entails, because those two lines that I've just said as an intro barely touches the surface. <laughs> yeah, so for those listening, at Harrington Star, I am responsible for the brand, so I'm brand manager. So basically anything graphics, visual, brand design, just the overall Harrington Star experience and, and our message and kind of what we represent that's part of my role here so basically anything creative is, is my it's just what I love doing so I'm really pleased to be doing that here yeah and doing a fantastic job with it thank you um, you've always been a massive supporter of these podcast series the fact that I grew the podcast series from women of fintech to humans of fintech the families of fintech talent surgery it's all about embracing all the different parts of people and the fact that inclusion really is never ending. There's so many avenues that we need to explore. So I know you're here today to tell us more about neurodiversity in the workplace. I wanted you just to share some of your initial thoughts. Yeah, well, firstly, I think in general, just like editing your podcast and working on them really has opened up. I've always been like a feminist and kind of into women's rights and stuff, but it's been really inspiring to be behind these podcasts and kind of listening to all these different voices for all types of diversity. So I think just in terms of my initial diagnosis when I was 21, like that was so important for me because first of all, it was like reassuring that there isn't something wrong with me. There's kind of an excuse, a reason behind why I feel like I'm different, not deficient. And yeah, I, I, I see more and more people talking about it. And I just think it's so important. People are talking a lot about diversity in the workplace. And I think they usually go based on appearance. And for me, one of my biggest struggles to feel like I'm fitting in or like my purpose has been because of the way my brain works so I think it's been really important to talk about that and you know thanks obviously for letting me come on and, and share that because I think there's they say there's one in seven people in the UK are neurodivergent so that could be autism ADHD I think OCD is one and then like dyslexia dyspraxia so that's over 15 percent and Firstly, I think that's so much more because there are more and more women being diagnosed later in life because the typical ADHD persona or stereotype, if you like, is a naughty boy in school who's too loud and doesn't can't focus when really there's like a whole spectrum of being neurodiverse that people are discovering. Just going off of that, not just kind of raising awareness of the different types of being neurodiverse. It's not that typical Sheldon from Big Bang Theory and, you know, there's so many different ways that people think. And I think there's also a point to be made on these people are special in their own right. They do have, I know it's so overused, but the term superpower and they're extremely valuable to firms. I think that hiring managers and leaders need to put more effort into identifying their strengths and working on that because these people, you know, when I'm in my zone, when I'm doing what I do best, I won't stop. 
And I can definitely uh, testify to that, that when you are focused, the speed in which you work, your productivity, I've, I've never seen anything like it. As opposed to when I have to do like a spreadsheet or something. Yeah, <laughs> I've put yeah. it off so long, but... Well, this is why it's so important to talk about it, right? Because, you know, a huge part of this series is that people can learn from it. And I think it's amazing that you are talking to us so openly about your own personal experience and and actually how I love how you say it's not a deficiency it's about being different yeah and you know that is exactly what we're talking about in these podcasts so just tell us a little bit more about your own personal experience in the workplace yes just going off your point there about why it's important I, I will like to point out that since talking about it a lot on LinkedIn and going to talks about it and just sharing my experience just with family members and friends, I've had so many people come back to me and, or to my parents and say, oh, can I speak to your daughter? I think I've got ADHD or I think my kid has ADHD. I'd really like them to hear from her that it's, it's not a struggle. And I think that's been what's so important to me is that I want people to realise that, yeah, exactly, like you say, it's not a deficiency, it's a difference. And that's kind of what's been spurring me on but in terms of in the workplace like I think especially since before I was diagnosed I've always identified or been recognized as a bit of a weirdo I'm a bit quirky I have my quirks you know certain things really stress me out freak me out and I have certain patterns and ways and I think a lot of the time that was maybe seen as something to poke fun of and not in a way of like I'm a victim but it would always be you know oh, you're so weird you know things like that and oh, why are you like that just be normal oh can't you look me in the eyes and things like that because some something I find a little bit uncomfortable is like constantly looking in people's eyes and stuff and that's definitely been mentioned before and I think just just overall things like a lot of people at work neurotypical normal people like have loads of banter and be fun and laddie and stuff and I love that and sometimes I'm, I'm involved as well but other times if I'm feeling low or I need to focus on something or they're a bit close, you know, it's something that I feel isolated from. And I think it's just really important to recognise that not everyone is comfortable with certain behaviours, but also that you shouldn't maybe point out that they're, they're weird or something um, and just, just let them be and just let them get involved when, when they can and when they want to. That was my personal thing. But also in terms of like workload, I think before being diagnosed and being treated, I would be sat there kind of just doing nothing all day, like just sat like, you know, tapping away and just not ever finding that motivation. And I found out that that's something called ADHD paralysis, which is like, if you're not motivated to do something or you're not doing something you necessarily are invested in, you can't swing into action. Whereas on the other hand, I could find myself in that spot and just keep working for hours and hours and hours. So overall, like the nine to five can be really difficult because I might not find that motivation till four o'clock in the afternoon and then I've wasted a day or I feel like people are watching me over my shoulder, I'm not doing anything, but I just can't force it sort of thing. So you go from four until whatever time in the morning yeah. because that's when your focus kicks in. This is so powerful that you're you're sharing so openly because I think you're really like challenging, anyone listening to this, you're challenging the concept and the notion of what is normal. And you know, this this word weird, like, like, what does weird mean? Different to what you would define as normal. Like, yeah. how dare any of us use that word? It's, you know, especially yeah. with all the work that we're all doing to drive inclusion in the workplace. But this isn't just about the workplace, is it? This is much, much bigger than that. It's about society in general and, and the way we have all been brought up 
to perceive what is different to us and to see that as some sort of threat. Yeah. And this is what I think this is so powerful you sharing to the level that you are because there'll be people listening to this that will will look at others in their workplace now and go, wow, okay, I recognise some of this. Mm. And wow, look how productive Lydia Sear is at work because we are constantly working together to build you know, the right environment for you. So I wanted you just to tell us a little bit more about the challenges. I know you, you touched upon a few of them, but the challenges that some neurodiverse people may face at work, but also just how the typical work environment can actually be quite excluding. Yeah, so again, just going off what you said earlier, like something that's been really useful here in my journey at Harrington Star is that we have started to specialise and that I feel comfortable enough to say to the team, Alexandra, Georgia and, and you message and say, hey, sorry, my brain's a bit weird today, feeling sensitive or I can't compute what's going on, please help. That's something that's really important. But I think some roles can be way too broad and varied that it's hard for people who are neurodiverse to be seen as overall productive. They're really good in one area, but in another they might struggle more. Things like people with autism are really good at recognising patterns. And for me, the whole thing is visual composition. I feel I've got a natural ability to kind of look at something and be able to balance it out, what, what it needs, what it needs removing. So I think just overall, there's that practical side. But another thing is the social side. You know, it, it can be... I struggle to go to work environments, being in, in loud bars and kind of trying to socialise and trying to make that effort when a lot of the time when I'm at social events, I'm in my head. Something that people with a neurodiverse condition often experience is this overall feeling of being perceived at all times, which I didn't realise until I saw a TikTok. Uh, this, I think she's called Ellie. She's really cool. She's on LinkedIn. And it's this idea that I'm constantly aware of that people might be viewing me in a certain way or like how I am performing in front of others. So that can be a massive thing. It's like, did I say that right? And just reading social cues as well. And that can be such a huge thing. People might think, I mean, I often say things that to me, it's just logical and I'm trying to help someone out and I'm trying to give them the solution. And someone might go, all right, Liz, calm down. Like a bit rude. Like, social interactions can be really hard, especially if you're trying to impress your boss and you want that rise or you want that promotion or that recognition and yeah just overall variety of skill set is, is quite difficult yeah so I think what is so important and what I'm hearing here is you know look the future of work is really reliant on managers cultures environments to be better at including and set up better but also respond better you know because uh, as you say ADHD paralysis, something that people have probably learned about just by listening to you talking now, yeah. right? So any typical boss may look at a typical member of staff and say, they're not doing any work today. Well, actually, it's worth the investigation because it's no joke. You probably have worked between 4pm and midnight and probably done somebody else's four days worth of work within that time. And it's up to, I believe, bosses, peers, colleagues, work friends, everybody that's involved in that ecosystem to really start trying to look beyond what's that initial perception because we've all been brought up and trained to you know, normalcy and I put up you know, yeah. my, my bigger yeah. quotation marks on that and I think we need to work better. So I just want to add to that. I totally agree with that and I think there's nothing more motivating for me. For example, if I say to you, Nads, I am stuck like... I literally cannot do anything right now. And if you would say, okay, what's up? 
can I help? Or that's fine, just walk away and come back to it and I trust you to do this to the best of your ability in your own pace. And that to me is enough to go, you know what, you're right, yeah. And, and feel like I have a support behind me and that I can do it because I know I can, but it's just the guilt of like, I don't want people to think I'm slacking or I don't care because I do, but deadlines are super helpful in that way. <laughs> I work you know, right up to the deadline, but that, that's how I work best. Again, really important, you know, what a waste of time conforming is when, you know, if we could yeah. actually just learn each other better and then really work on that communication plus the psychological safety. And the word that you said there that really stood out for me was the trust. So, you know, we've, we've started to touch upon it, but really what I'd like to be our final part of this conversation is around what more firms can do to support, you mentioned the stat, the 15%, probably the 30%, yeah. right? probably yeah. even more than that, but to support their people better. I think from experience here anyway, the flexible hours is super helpful because just being able to, again, log off, walk away from the computer, go and clear my head, go to the gym, you know, do, do something for myself, that is so helpful in keeping my mind ticking and regulated and stuff. So 100% flexible hours. Obviously, there needs to be routine. You can't just tell someone, oh, that's your job, see you around, you know. There needs to be routine and I massively benefit as well from coming into the office. Something that I think is hard is the initial getting up and going, but I found that actually coming into the office, going to the gym and then being here in the morning is so much more helpful. But then being able to go home at lunch or just have that time where I can move my hours to exactly when I know I'm going to be able to perform best. That is so helpful. And just overall acceptance and openness and, and just being that boss I can't remember when I said oh, I said it in a recent article being that boss that your staff will talk about in pubs to their friends for years to come like yeah this person was so open-minded so supportive I could literally tell them anything they were like a friend because we are moving into a way more informal and I, I don't like using the word informal because it's got negative connotations but you know back in the day you had to wear a suit and respect your boss like a teacher when that's not going to get the best out of people because we, we are all different, we don't work that way. So having that friendship, that trust and open-minded approach to different people's ideas and perspectives, your business will fly. Like, imagine everyone thinks the same. You will never innovate and move innovation forward. But if you allow different people from different perspectives, different backgrounds, everything, this is whole why diversity is so important anyway, including neurodiversity, the ideas and imagination that can come from this group is just extraordinary. And it's been so brilliant learning about it. This whole series is about listening, learning, and then walking the talk. And I just know that we'll be able to do that after this episode. So Lydia, thank you so much for joining us on the Humans of FinTech podcast. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>